Today's story is from the Ramayan. It's about how Ravan entered the battlefield and faced off against Sugriv, Hanuman, Nila, Lakshman, Hanuman again, and finally Ram himself. Welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast that will take you on a journey through the rich mythology, folklore and history of the Indian subcontinent. I am Narad Muni, the celestial storyteller and the original Time Lord. With my ability to travel through space and time, I can bring you fascinating stories from the past, the present and the future. From the epic tales of the Mahabharata and Ramayana to the folk tales of the Panchatantra, to stories of Akbar Birbal and Thanali Raman. I have a story for every occasion. The purpose of the stories is neither to pass judgment nor to indoctrinate. My goal is only to share these stories with people who may not have heard them before and to make them more entertaining for those who have. In this episode, we are continuing the story of the Ramayana. The Ramayana is one of two major epics in Indian mythology. The other is the Mahabharata, which we have also covered on the show. The Ramayana begins in the kingdom of Ayodhya with Ram, the crown prince. He didn't stay crown prince for too long because his stepmother, Kaikai, forced him into exile for 14 years. Ram went, but his wife, Sita, and his brother, Lakshman, went along too. Ram was an avatar of Vishnu, the preserver of the universe. Vishnu creates a balance between Brahma, the creator, and Shiva, the destroyer. Together, they are the holy trinity of Indian mythology. If you're new to this show, let me assure you, my stories are about as authentic as it gets. Because Brahma is my dad. And I am president for life of the Vishnu fan club. And I regularly meet Shiva on Mount Kailash. Anyway, back to Ram, Lakshman and Sita. They survived one challenge after another in the wild. Demons and demonesses had eagerly queued up to either eat the Ayodhya trio or to kidnap and enslave them. Ram and Lakshman managed to fight off most such challenges. And then suddenly, everything took a decidedly darker turn when Ravan abducted Sita. Ravan was the ruler of Lanka and the mega-villain of this epic. He was full of superpowers, which meant defeating him was virtually impossible. If you want a modern analogy, imagine Lord Voldemort from the Harry Potter universe, but with ten heads, so ten times as evil. A Star Wars analogy works as well. Think of the evil 
Sith Lord Emperor, with both his own and Darth Vader's powers, but with nothing good left in the combination. Sita had been kidnapped without so much as a ransom note, about a drop-off point in an abandoned fort or some such sinister location. Neither the police existed, nor the CBI, nor the Gumshida Talash Kendra. So Ram and Lakshman had to look elsewhere for help. And they got this in the form of the Vanars. These Vanars were a kingdom of monkeys led by Sugriv, who was their king. That being said, most of the actual help was from Hanuman, Sugriv's advisor and right-hand Vanar. And that help included locating Sita in Lanka, delivering Ram's words of support, and delivering Sita's words of support back to Ram. Burning down Lanka and getting the inside scoop on Lankan defences were just bonus achievements for Hanuman. The Ayodhya brothers and all the Vanars crossed the ocean to get to Lanka. That part was especially hard because first they had to build a bridge across the ocean, which any civil engineer will tell you is hard enough now and was much harder still in ancient India. Vibhishan, one of Ravan's brothers, switched sides and came over to help Ram. The Vanars established a camp on a nearby mountain. And from there, the two sides dove into battle. Indrajit, Ravan's son, had already delivered a massive blow to the Vanars when he very badly hurt both Ram and Lakshman. Luckily for the Ayodhya brothers, Garud intervened. Garud is Vishnu's mount and is half-man, half-bird. He is one of the most powerful creatures I've ever met. Thanks to Garud's intervention, Ram and Lakshman could again join the battle the very next day. We'll continue the story not on the battleground, but inside Ravan's palace. Ravan sat on his throne holding his heads. Yes, he was holding as many of the ten heads as he could manage. Something wrong, sire? asked his minister. Something wrong, he asks? No, everything is just splendid. In fact, I'm thinking of throwing a big party. It was Ravan's head number three who said all that. Not surprising. That head was known to be a little bit more on the sarcastic side. Of course something is wrong. The ever-practical head number two spoke. In fact, everything is wrong. You might as well ask if anything has gone well. Surely, your highness is forgetting Indrajit's victories on day one, the minister reminded him. A minor victory, head number eight said. It's all gone downhill from there. It's all because of those confounded monkeys. Not content with invading Lanka? They've invaded my skulls and given me these splitting headaches. Unless, 
You're here to bring me some good news? Head number five asked, with an optimism that caused the other heads to roll their cumulative 18 eyes. The minister reluctantly admitted that no news was good news. Head number six joined head number five in growing excitement until the minister clarified that what he meant was that none of the news had been good news. He didn't mean to imply that an absence of new information could be assumed to be favourable. It goes to show how low Ravan's spirits were, that he didn't toss the minister out of the window. And he didn't bung an entire mountain on him for not being specific enough. But Ravan asked for the news, bad as it was. And it was pretty bad. Dhumaraksha and Vajradhamstra were killed. Who? asked Ravan's head number 10. And it was obvious that head number 10 was speaking for all the other heads as well. When the minister reminded him that the two were his warriors, Ravan told the minister to send flowers and condolence letters to their families. He specifically asked the minister to use the generic postcard, not the personal handwritten and signed note. He didn't even remember who those warriors were. And besides, with hard-to-pronounce names like those, he ventured a guess that the morale of the troops working with those warriors might actually improve. So it was that later on, Dumaraksha and Vajradhamstra's family found out through postcards about how much Ravan had felt a personal sense of grief when their husband-slash-son-slash-father-slash-brother-slash-nephew-slash-uncle had been killed-slash-injured-slash-taken-prisoner-slash-was-missing. And they were asked to accept Ravan's personal, heartfelt condolences-slash-sympathies-slash-best-wishes. The Lankan military was obviously cost-cutting in the wrong areas. Anyway, back to the minister. He went on to say that Akampana and Prahastha had also fallen in battle. Had they really? Why didn't they get up and carry on fighting? The ten-headed demon asked. To which the minister had to explain that they had fallen permanently. They had been killed in the action. That was bad. Quite bad. Akampana was Ravan's uncle. He had escaped slaughter at Ram and Lakshman's hands back in India. And then he had gone on to advise Ravan to abduct Sita in episode 101. Now with him gone, there was no obvious scapegoat left. And as for Prahastha, he had been one of Ravan's most capable generals. Where was Indrajit? They badly needed a repeat of his day one actions if they were to punch back at the Vanars. But Indrajit needed to recharge his invisibility spells. It was clear enough that his invisibility was his real strength. And without that, he'd have had a hard time 
overcoming the vanners unfortunately the recharging was going to take some time so ravan told his minister that he would enter the battle himself the bold decision was inevitably applauded which is not a surprise the minister was a sycophant and he would have applauded any decision by ravan ravan wanted to know the pitch and weather conditions the minister told him that it was going to be a bright and sunny day leftover arrows and spears were cleared from the battleground that meant he had a choice between the chariot with the siat tires or the one with the mrf tires ravan chose the mrf chariot because the tires had muscles or so the manufacturers advertised honestly if he really wanted to win i often wonder why he did not choose the pushpak viman his flying chariot he would have the tactical high ground though not the moral one given that would give him an unfair advantage in a gentleman's battle i just never thought that ravan would be the type of person to stick to morals about battle etiquette considering that he had abducted someone's wife or maybe he just forgot that he had a flying chariot anyway the minister left and returned within minutes to report that everything was ready the chariot was in the loading zone the charioteers were ready the horses were fed they had received fresh shoes the chariot was loaded with dozens of bows and arrows and spears and ravan's special 10 cup cup holder had just the right blends of tea that each of his heads liked when ravan boarded his chariot the charioteer made an announcement good morning your majesty this is your pilot captain sarthi speaking i am joined in the cockpit by my co-pilot Sahasarthi I trust you find yourself comfortably standing for this journey into battle as we embark on our adventure I would like to extend a warm welcome on board due to a risk of injury to cabin crew in-flight refreshments will not be served today our route today will take us through the battleground please ensure your belongings are securely stored we may point out some landmarks as we pass them meanwhile If you're aiming your weapons, please do not aim them forward and low. The chances of one of us being hit or one of the horses being hit is pretty high. In the event of unexpected bumps or turbulence on the road, rest assured that your charioteers are well trained in the art of smooth navigation. We anticipate a pleasant journey into the battlefield and are delighted to have you on board. Thank you for choosing us for your battle needs. We hope you enjoy the ride and reach your palace back with joyous memories of a high kill count. Chariot, prepare for departure on runway 9. Ravan's chariot advanced into the battlefield. His first order was to bolt the garage gate behind him and to put extra guards on every entrance in case the vanners realized that with Ravan out of the city it would be the best opportunity to attack it 
Ravan had an instant advantage from his gleaming new chariot. And the advantage was that it was gleaming. All that metal shone, reflecting the sun directly into the Varner's eyes. That meant Ravan could take his time, aiming his arrows and picking off one Varner after another. Ravan was really, really accurate with a bow and arrow. His archery skills were quite underrated, given all his other superpowers. But right now, he was demonstrating them by getting a 100% strike rate. Sugriv quickly noticed Ravan and launched towards his chariot. King versus King. This was the face-off that Sugriv wanted again. Especially after their last one-on-one fight had ended inconclusively. Some warners suggested that Sugriv had been lucky to get out of that alive. And that was mildly infuriating. Sugriv was going to do something about it now. The bright, shiny, reflective chariot made it harder. But Sugriv had a pair of sunglasses that he quickly put on. The Varner king picked up a mountaintop, complete with trees still attached to it. He hurled it at the demon king. Sugriv was giving Ravan a taste of his own medicine. But Ravan's charioteer detected the giant mass on his radar. We have a bogey incoming at 10 o'clock, he shouted. Ravan appreciated the warning, but even as he casually used an arrow to burst the incoming mountain to smithereens, he realized that he found all this aviation jargon a bit trying. But he couldn't just replace this crew mid-flight, could he? Oh no, he was doing it himself now. Ravan fired an arrow that stunned Sugriv. And now, he gave his charioteers the sign to move on. Ravan didn't realize it, but Sugriv was stunned and not dead. He had lost consciousness. It was a nasty blow though, and Sugriv would likely be out of action for a while. The demon king mechanically fired arrows, hitting one warner after another. A bit further off, Ram and Lakshman spotted this chariot and the distinctive T-shaped person inside the chariot. Well, well, well. Ravan was in their midst. Time to end this battle, Ram said, and began walking in the chariot's direction. But Lakshman said that he wanted to have a go. Like a good elder brother, Ram let him. So Lakshman headed in the chariot's direction instead, while Ram focused on taking out a few Lankan soldiers here and there. But before Lakshman reached the chariot, someone else had appeared on the scene to challenge Ravan. And that was Hanuman. Hanuman let out a wild war cry and was about to leap onto the chariot, but Ravan hit him with an arrow. It didn't stop Hanuman, 
but it slowed him down. Temporarily. As Hanuman reeled back from the impact of the massively powerful arrow that Ravan had shot at him. Hanuman was angrier now, and he was about to make a second attempt at a leap when he stopped. That was because Nila had joined in. Nila was a Vanar son of Agni, the god of fire, and also the brother of Nala, the architect of the bridge to Lanka. Nila wasn't an architect like his brother, and he couldn't set fire to things like his dad, but he could move fast. He leapt and landed on Ravan's chariot. He wasn't able to launch any attacks on Ravan himself, but he moved rapidly and avoided every one of Ravan's close-range arrows. Hanuman, meanwhile, observed Ravan engaged in that little skirmish with Nila and decided not to attack the demon. A two-on-one attack wouldn't be the gentlemanly thing to do. I mean, how would it be in cricket if the fielding team suddenly were allowed to bowl from both sides of the stumps at the same time? How was the batsman expected to defend his wicket from both ends? So Hanuman moved on to tackling a few other Lankan soldiers elsewhere. Nila's actions were costing Ravan precious arrows. Finally realizing that Nila was more than an ordinary monkey, Ravan took out a special arrow. This was a heat-seeking one that would pursue its target once it had locked on. He let fire, and though Nila moved with great agility, the monkey could not shake off the arrow. It finally caught up with him and injured him as well. Ravan's chariot moved forward. Now, there were four or five Vanar generals all around, and Ravan again deftly held them off. Things were going well for him. He had taken Sugriv and Nila out of the battle, and he had injured another four or five generals. He had stunned Hanuman. Pity that Hanuman had got away. Ravan really wanted to finish off that insolent monkey for destroying his city. And it was a pity that Ram and Lakshman weren't to be seen. They must be hiding, out of fear no doubt, he thought to himself. But he was wrong, of course, because right then, Lakshman appeared before him. Lakshman was aiming carefully and was about to fire a weapon at Ravan, when Ravan suddenly reached out and tossed a little hill at the prince. Lakshman had to abruptly change his aim, but he hit the hill and shattered it into harmless little pieces. Ravan started firing arrows at him, but Lakshman was quick. He fired arrows that intercepted Ravan's arrows. And it wasn't just all defense from Lakshman. He also managed to sneak in a shot that broke Ravan's bow. Ravan was angry now. He took his magic spear and started screaming at Lakshman. Lakshman merely said, If you're trying to hit me with the spear, 
just do it already ravan hurled it towards lakshman and he screamed the spell taste the thunder lakshman merely laughed and gave the demon king a thumbs up as if to say you need to relax bro chill have a drink or something but it was lakshman who was suddenly on the back foot now there was a brilliant flash of lightning that temporarily blinded lakshman the spear caught him square in the chest thankfully it only knocked him out and didn't kill him ravan realized that and then he got down from his chariot to finish the job the mistake indrajit had made was to not finish off the ayodhya brothers when he had captured them in his snake net ravan approached lakshman as the prince lay on the ground the demon king decided to do what bane had done to batman if you follow those comics or if you have seen the movies he was going to lift lakshman's body and break this prince into two kind of like breaking a kit kat poor lakshman looking so tired ravan said derisively here let me help you have a break but to his vast surprise ravan could not lift lakshman had the spear pinned lakshman to the ground but no it wasn't that sarthi in the nearby chariot suggested that maybe it was fevicol's majboot jod jo tutega nahi for the uninitiated fevicol is an indian brand of adhesive that advertises with that very slogan meaning a robust unbreakable bond hanuman leapt in just then and faced ravan finally these two titans were about to fight each other but it wasn't much of a contest hanuman quickly jabbed left and right and rained punches on the king of lanka he knocked out several of ravan's 320 teeth actually make that 316 ravan had wisdom teeth extracted from one of his heads hanuman could have ended the war right then by finishing off ravan but he had a more important and urgent thing to attend to lakshman if the prince didn't get immediate attention it might cost him his life hanuman left ravan there he picked up lakshman and leapt off towards the medic tent sarthi sahasarthi and ravan all stared in amazement at the ease with which hanuman had lifted lakshman was ravan going soft perhaps the charioteers would definitely wonder ravan decided so upon returning that day he would have to have them executed before anyone else found out about how easily hanuman had beaten him the medics removed the spear quickly which magically returned back to ravan it was programmed to return to base sort of like a roomba but only a little bit more destructive than your top of the line robot vacuum 
if you know what I mean. Lakshman would recover. The medics had already moved on. They had too much on their hands right now. Sugriv, Nila and hundreds of other vanners were hurt here. Hanuman returned back to the field where Ram was getting ready to attack Ravan now. Ram was angry, very angry. But Hanuman could see that he also lacked the high ground here. Seeing as Ravan was back on his chariot, the demon king had a height advantage and Ram needed a better vantage point if he wanted to inflict some serious damage. Get on my shoulders, he said quickly to Ram. Ram understood and was quickly in a great spot again. Hanuman, can you hover? Of course, the Vana replied. I can also fly backwards. I did that when I learned a bunch of lessons from Surya, the sun god. That's wonderful, Hanuman, but this is no time to reminisce. Just do it. Hover for two or three seconds, flit right or left five meters. Hover again, move left or right again. Keep doing that, but always stay between the sun and Ravan's chariot. That was an easy flight plan for Hanuman to follow. Ravan was now having a hard time predicting their movement. And what's more, now that he had to look up, the glare from the sun was in Ravan's eyes. And though Ravan had some sunglasses, he didn't have ten pairs. Ram had been clever to realize this. He fired a volley of arrows that broke the chariot. Tires, horses, it even broke Ravan's last bow and his magic spear. As an icing on the cake, Ram fired an arrow that neatly removed Ravan's ten-headed crown from his head. There was one final arrow that Ram positioned, but he didn't fire it. Take the shot, why don't you? urged Hanuman. But Ram shook his head. He addressed Ravan. Look at you. You're weak and pathetic right now. You're hardly standing. You have no weapons left. I can't kill you right now. Ram was correct. Killing Ravan would have been the easy thing to do, but not the honorable one. You don't fire on an unarmed enemy, even if that unarmed enemy is Ravan. Can't you just take out one of his heads? Just one? He'll still have nine more, Hanuman urged again. But that wouldn't be following battle etiquette either. Ravan walked off, angry. Sarthi and Sahasarthi were walking beside him. Sarthi began speaking as they approached the chariot garages. Your Majesty, this is your charioteer speaking. We trust that you have had an enchanting experience today, riding with us. As we approach our destination, there is no need to ensure your belongings are securely stored. And there is no need to fasten your seatbelts. We don't have seatbelts or belongings left. We have clearance to turn right on runway 9 and enter through door number 3 from where we departed.
there is no need to adjust your watches as we are landing in the same time zone that we took off from. The weather outside is nice and pleasant. On behalf of the entire charioteer crew, we'd like to express our gratitude for riding with us. We hope your time with us has been memorable and we look forward to welcoming you on board again for future battles. Ravan laughed a hollow laugh. His resolve to execute his charioteer crew had only grown. That's it for now. Check out the link in the show notes for previous Ramayan episodes. As is the tradition on this show, the names of a couple of the characters are based on the roles they play. Sarthi means charioteer and Sahasarthi means co-charioteer. In the next episode, we'll do a folk tale again, which one of you listeners requested. This one is from Arunachal Pradesh, about some monks who receive flying lessons. Thank you all for the comments on social media and on Spotify's Q&A. I can't directly reply to the questions there, but I'll address them here on this show. Jim Sinks, I can't really do a story on Harry Potter, but my show is liberally peppered with Harry Potter references. If you want specific analogies, there's episode 44 and 45, Harry Potbreaker. I've also explained in episode 13 how much Harry Potter is based on Krishna's story. Shramanand, Darsh, Karthiraj, Hiranmai, Parasasapi, Shalu and Adi, thank you for the lovely comments. Hiranmai, I hope you had a good children's day as well. Vihan, you can call me Narad. That's who I am. Darsh, Tipu Sultan's story. Got it. He was character of the week in episode 20. But there are more stories to tell about his life. So I'll add that to my list. Adi and Shalu. I will do a Kartikeya story. There was a reference to him in the last episode. And he did appear in episode 6.5. A long time ago. Munish. I have covered the story of Krishna's birth and childhood in episode 11, The Boy Who Lived, and in episode 13, Nurse Ratched and Umbrella Mountain. Let me know if there is a specific story that you're looking for, because Krishna's childhood was a very eventful one, and there are many incidents that I've not covered. If you have any other comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you'd like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or reply to the questions on Spotify's Q&A. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple. Dashplanet.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.